Oh, Lord, we're just thankful that, that we can laugh and uh, just enjoy one another. Uh, God, we're thankful that we can take you seriously and, and not ourselves so much. Uh, Lord, we're grateful for uh, family, uh, for the body of Christ. We're thankful for what you're doing here. God, we pray that you would continue to build and, and strengthen and refine this church the way that you want. We are uh, thankful for the armor you've provided uh, to stand firm. God, we know that we're in a season where the last thing we should do is sit back and be casual, but be all the more diligent in prayer, in confessing, in walking, in laboring, and bearing one another's burdens uh, for the glory of God and good of others and joy of our souls. So God, lead us, speak to us, show us why we need the shoes and the shield uh, that will be good in this fight and in standing firm in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you have a Bible, go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6 is where we're we're at. We probably have about three more weeks left in the armor of God. Uh, We're wrapping up this series in the book of Ephesians. Uh, We're going to be starting the book of Jonah when we're done this one. Uh, There's a number of reasons that I like Jonah. I think just two uh, is because Jonah gives us real concrete examples of sin as well as the relentless heart of God towards sinners. Um, You see a lot of grace, a lot of radical mercy. Uh, No one cannot identify with that book, which is why it's a great book. The the other thing you see is God loves a city, a particular city. God's calling us, uh, Lord willing, soon uh, into the city and place of Paramus to be visible witnesses of his glory and his ambassadors. And so we want to see what God might have for us as well in that regard. So uh, looking forward to that, but we're going to do the shoes and shield this morning. Uh, Next week we'll do the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, and uh, then we'll probably end with uh, prayer and the the final greeting. So that's kind of where we're going. Probably three sermons left. And some of you guys ask, uh, "Do I like plot out um, like like what I'm going to preach? You know, months ahead? I'm just not that gifted. So, I, so there are some guys that like can go months out. I just kind of study until God stops me. Uh, that's just kind of how I've always kind of taught. Um, there are times where maybe I'll spend a little bit longer time in a specific text. Other times I'll just go a little bit longer. So it's good to have a trajectory, but please don't hold me to that. Uh, as you guys know, I was planning on doing this in two weeks, and now I'm doing every piece of armor per weekend. So uh, the Lord saw differently. So uh, that's where we're at. So, so here's, here's how to catch you up to speed if you're just kind of dropping in or, or getting caught up. Um, the book of Ephesians, very simply, is a book that, where the writer Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus, and it wasn't just written to this church in Ephesus, it was actually written to be given out to all the churches in Asia Minor. So yes, the church at Ephesus received it primarily, but this, this letter's going and being handed out all across Asia Minor to encourage them. So you'll notice this letter is not as personal as many other letters that Paul writes. And he's writing with one kind of foundational want. He wants you to understand what it means to be in Christ. Okay, he wants you to understand what it means to have that identity, to have that refuge, to have that standing ground. What does it mean to be saved by God, redeemed by God, and be forgiven by God, and brought into a new family, and, and sealed in that new family, and then adopted? You have a new dad, you have brothers and sisters, and you're not just saved to God. It's not just God and me. You're saved to people. You're saved to a new body. You're saved to a new family. Okay, and then he, then he gets into explaining more of that in the details of chapter 2. You were dead in your sin. He had to make you alive in Christ. He gave you a new heart. He gave you good works to do, empowered by the grace of God, sustained by his grace. Then he shows it's not just an exclusive community. It's inclusive, Jew and Gentile. All of a sudden, racial divides are no longer. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter your color. It doesn't matter what you're like or your vocation. Right? It's, it's solely Christ that makes you one. Okay? Then he gets into these, this, this majestic 
saying in chapter 3 how the angels worship as they watch God redeem people, save people, and bring them into a, a group of people that celebrate him, worship him, and go out and proclaim his fame. And then in chapter 4, the whole book changes from your position to your practice. Okay, your position matters because it affects what you do. Right? You don't start with what you do and then go to who you are. You start with who you are and then live that out in your practice. So chapter four showed that we put off the deeds of the flesh. We walk in holiness. We learn how to walk wisely among outsiders, making the best use of our time. This is how we operate in marriage. This is how we parent our kids. This is how we operate as children, submitting to our parents. We talked about in the workplace, slaves and masters. And here what he's doing is wrapping up these 139 verses And in in chapter six, verse 10, he gets into, okay, as you're doing all of this, remember something. It's not just about you and God. There's a third party involved, right? Satan and his adversaries. A real, visible, viable, relentless person who hates the things of God, who wants to oppose God, who wants to condemn you, who wants to lie to you, who wants to discourage you. So he's saying, you better suit up. You need to put on some armor. You need to protect yourself against the schemes of the enemy. And so uh, one thing I wanted to mention in this is remember when we talk about the truth of the spiritual war, that temptation is not to lose your salvation, okay? That's not the danger. Like you putting on the armor doesn't, doesn't somehow protect you from God letting go of you, okay? It also doesn't protect you from your assurance, okay? We have the assurance in Christ. These are things that God gives us for your usefulness, Okay, for your joy. So if you go into battle, you don't suit up, man. You're gonna be a useless cause for the kingdom. You're gonna be vulnerable. You're gonna be shipwrecked. You're gonna be doubtful. You're gonna be fearful. Doesn't change your stance before God, but your life will be very damaged. Okay, and being used for God's glory and the good of his work. And so coming out of last week, we said we go into battle knowing the truth and being committed to the truth. We talked about the belt of truth. We said we also need to walk around with the breastplate of righteousness and how it's not just appealing to that God has made us righteous in Christ to deflect the condemnation from Satan, but also that we have imparted righteousness that God gives us through his Holy Spirit so we can, we're actually capable of walking in righteousness, in practical righteousness. If you don't care about sin, if you don't care about confessing, if you don't care about how your life is, well, that, that opens up cracks in your armor for Satan to get in and wedge himself and bring destruction to you. And what we're going to see this morning is, along with those things, two more pieces, the shoes and the shield. Here's what he says in verse 15. <clears throat> Paul says, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Okay, so, so he gives us this other, this other piece of armor. Now, it's kind of funny that shoes are armor, right? Now, now listen, I've never fought in a war, but I know that, that what you wear matters, okay? I know what you wear on your feet matters in life, right? So in athletics, right, it matters what kind of things you wear on your feet. So whether it's cleats, whether it's nothing, whether it's something smooth or it's something firm, it, it helps you in the, ath- in the athletic, you know, form that you're in. So I remember when I played mini-kick soccer, I had those annoying plastic cleats, you know, that my parents were always like, don't walk on the concrete. But I love walking on the concrete, running around the house in them. And they hated that because what did it do? It, 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 it softened down the cleats. So then I'd go out and play and I was just on my butt the whole game, right? Because I was walking around on the cement. It was just tilling down the cleat. And so it matters what you have on your feet. We can look at history and know this, right? Revolutionary War. What happened? The Americans ended up barefoot against the British because they didn't have good shoes. So they ended up chasing them barefoot. Do you think that hindered their victory? Absolutely. 
You think that hindered their ability to move and, and, and go up hills and wander into thickets and bushes? Absolutely, right? Because they didn't have the right shoes. They didn't have the right things on their feet. And so it, this is not like your Birkenstock sandals, okay, when you're thinking of, because Roman soldiers wore sandals, okay? Those were these shoes they wore, but it was thick leather, Okay, and they even took these big rugged nails and drove them through the bottom of your sandal that came out the backside so that gave them good grip. Okay, so they actually had spikes on the bottom so they could climb mountains, they could go through hard terrain so they didn't slip and fall, they were stable. Right, I mean, what has Paul been talking about in this whole charge to us? We're supposed to what? Stand firm, right? He's not necessarily even talking about going or retreating, he's talking about standing, rooting yourself, being firm to deflect and protect yourself from the attacks of the enemy. And so here, here we see that he gives us these shoes and he makes this spiritual comparison and says their readiness given by the gospel of peace. Okay, there's two things we're gonna see, readiness and gospel of peace. So a couple weeks ago, what do we say? How do we respond to the overwhelming thought that there is a cosmic level, we talked about two weeks ago, of spiritual forces at war with one another. And, and not only is our flesh warring, but we've got, a, we've got a, also an adversary outside of us that wars against us. How do, do, we, do we respond in fear? No, we respond in readiness. We say we don't respond in fear, we respond in readiness. So he's reminding you of that reality and that truth to respond ready to defend and deflect. Now, he says we are ready by the gospel of peace. Now, a lot of people, I think, go a wrong direction and apply this to Romans 10, where they say this is talking about us going and sharing the good news of the gospel. Okay, that's not what he's talking about, okay? If you look at Romans 10, it says what? How beautiful are the feet of those who come and bring the good news, okay? Now listen, he's simply talking about, is it a beautiful thing when people share the message of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Is it a beautiful thing when people preach and share the message of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. But he's not talking about going anywhere here. He's not talking about going into evangelism. He's talking about standing, not going. So his call here is you wear these shoes that make you stand firm, there's a readiness it gives you. The gospel of peace in some way gives you courage and limits your fear. That's what it does. So, so let's see what it does here. He says, this keeps a believer's feet from slipping, losing ground, and being prepared by knowing the gospel of peace. What is that? Very simply, the good, unchanging news that Jesus was sent when you were in opposition to God, when you are under wrath and not mercy, when you're an enemy of the cross and not a friend, when you were just a creation of God and not his child, and he came and bore all of your sin, took it all on the cross, he became your sin for you, wiped the slate clean, right? Took on all the wrath of God towards you in your sin, took all the sin that was supposed to be on you, he hung for you, then he rises again, validates it all, and says, hey, you're righteous. And now because you're a recipient of the greatest transaction in the history of humanity, you go, I can't believe I'm at peace with God now. Wait, I'm not in opposition to him? Like, like, like his wrath isn't on me anymore? You mean I'm, I'm a friend of God? I'm his child? He, he loves me like a dad? And now the, this gospel of peace, this peace in your heart somehow gives you courage, he's saying. It gives you, it limits your fear. It gives you motivation. This is the encouragement to stand Firm, God is our strength. He's now with you. So here's how I think this works itself out on the ground in, in a few ways. One, 
Satan will come at you and what? Try to tempt you, discourage you, lie to you, just get at you, right? So, so what you remember in those moments of accusation, of tempting, of being attacked is you know who you stand with. You know who's on your side now. Right, because listen, if you don't know where you stand with Christ, you're gonna be really vulnerable in the Christian life, right? If you don't know that Christ is with you, if you don't remember Matthew 28, that he says, hey, I'm with you till the end of the age. You've got me by your side. You're now a recipient of my power and of my personhood. My spirit indwells you. If you don't know all of that realities of your identity, you're gonna be totally vulnerable and not ready. You're not gonna, if you're not sharing in this gospel of peace, you won't be courageous knowing who's with you, You'll be very fearful. You'll be doubtful. You'll be concerned all the time. You'll, you'll always be wondering, I don't know. Is God with me? Is he, is he with me? Does he protect me? Is he for me? And we see this here. And I was trying to think of an example in Scripture as I was studying of someone who understood this. And I thought of Peter, okay? You guys remember when, when Peter was in the garden? And listen, when you think of Peter... Can you think about like something that describes Peter right off the bat? You're, you probably don't think of him as like a, a, a really courageous guy, right? Because what happens? I mean, he denies Jesus three times, right? That's like the one sin that we all remember about him, right? Yeah, he was used at Pentecost to preach an amazing sermon. Yeah, he was, he was used to, to be one of the disciples and apostles and help establish the church. But remember what happens in the garden before Jesus is arrested? He gets really mad. He finds a sword and he cuts off an ear of the high priest, what gave Peter courage to do that, right? I mean, because I mean, he's not by nature a courageous guy. I mean, just days later, he's denying Jesus. So we know he's not by, by just within himself, just he was born a guy of, of great courage, right? What happened right before that? Right before that, Jesus comes in, all the men, all the army, all the soldiers come in and say, hey, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And what does Jesus say? Yeah, I am. What happens? They all fall on their face. So, so what do you think Peter realized in that moment? Who, who was on his side? Who was with him, Right? I mean, what, what, now all of a sudden the guards are like accusing him and all of a sudden Peter's a big dog, right? He's got his armor on, he's wearing his shoes and he picks up the sword and cuts off a high priest's ear. I mean, what gives a guy that type of courage? I mean, he's like, man, I know who I'm with. I just, I just witnessed the power of the one who's standing with me. He understood that reality, right? That God was for him. The God of the universe, he saw and understood that and it gave him courage to walk into the face of a difficult situation. So it's this peace we have with God because of Christ that gives you courage. It gives you readiness. It enables you to stand firm. Because if you go back to Ephesians and start reading it through, what does it say? We were all born in rebellion towards God. That's not a cute thing, right? It's not a pretty picture, right? We're all born dead in our sin? Like, like, all of us wanted to be our own God. All of us wanted to make our own choices. All of us wanted to be the, the idol of our own heart. We all wanted to decide what was good. We all wanted to take all of God's good gifts to us and abuse them and use them to worship us and our own hearts, our own selfish indulgence and not God, right? So because of that, God had to come and make peace with us and have intimacy and not rebellion, make you a son and not just a creation, make you someone under grace, not under wrath, make you a friend of God, not an enemy of his, all in his kindness and grace. And so all of a sudden, when you understand the peace that God gave you in Christ, what does this do? This gives you the courage 
to walk into the den of a roaring lion. Right? You face that because you know who's with you. I mean, the greatest fear we should have is what? God. Being punished for our sin. Listen, if there's anything you should fear, it's not being forgiven. Like, listen, I know there's a lot of other stuff we fear. You know, we fear not having enough money, or we fear not having the perfect family, or we fear not having, like, all our, all our ducks in a row, or having the gated community to live in, or, you know, not having all our family members present, or not experiencing hardship. But listen, if there's one thing you should utterly fear that doesn't give you peace prior to Christ, it's the fact that you're in opposition to God, the God who demands holiness that only he can give you. And so until you embrace Christ and repent of your sin and trust in him, you're never going to find peace. You're never going to have stability in your life. And so all of a sudden, this brings about crazy courage for you to walk in the face of other things and say, hold on, my greatest fear was met in Christ. I've got peace now. I'm not free from trial. I'm not free from hardship. I'm not free from difficulty. But I've got a place I'm landing on here. And it's the peace that Christ made with me through God's grace. So we're confident not in us, but in the one who's with us, right? So we love putting on the shoes that remind us of this peace that was made with Christ in God so that we can walk with readiness in the battle and face fear with courage and endure circumstances and attacks from the enemy knowing that he's with us. You can overcome your sin. Why? Because the one who's with you. You can be bold in in proclaiming Jesus to your neighbor or an unbeliever. Why? Because the one who's with you. You can be so brave in, in standing for truth in a culture that hates the truth and distorts the truth. Why? Because of who's with you. Because the truth embodied Jesus actually lives within you by his Holy Spirit. And so we're recipients of these things. And then he mentions not only do we put on these shoes, the gospel of peace, we put on, he says, the shield of faith. Look at what he says in verse 16. And we want to spend more time here. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Just so you know, okay, when you guys are thinking about a shield, he's not talking about a little shield like Captain America, okay? That you're like holding up like this, okay? Kristen's uh, brother was, was dressed up as Captain America. He had this little shield, and then he could like draw his sword and other things, okay? That's not what this was, okay? A shield, a Roman shield, was like eight feet tall and four feet wide, okay? This thing was it, actual, the word in the original language is a door, Okay? So it literally looked like Roman soldiers were carrying around a door in front of them. Okay? Covered their whole body. They could hide behind it. It had full protection. Okay? So this is a, a serious shield. It had like over seven to eight layers of thick animal hide. They dip it in water so that if you know, the, the air weaponry had fire on the ends of it, which a lot of people would do in opposing armies, as soon as it hit the shield, the water would extinguish the flames. Okay? So remember, Paul understands Roman armor. Remember we said, they they ruled the known world, so he gets these visuals. He understands what this looks like. So here's what happens. They would walk into enemy territory side by side with their door-sized shields going like this, okay, in a full flank until they got head-to-head to to go man-to-man combat. Now, if you had a little dinky arm shield, you were dead. 
right? Like you didn't have a chance with all the air weaponry that was coming and flying at you. If you just put up this little shield with your arm, you're getting hit everywhere. So they would literally hide behind a full shield that covered them and they'd walk into battle. So this is just giving you the picture of the type of shield that they had. And so Paul's showing this understanding almost like you've got your breastplate on, like you've got so much protection, right? Well, like, like chances if, you know, you don't have a lot of faith one day and that, that dart does get over the top, you've got your breastplate on still, right? To appeal to God's righteousness. But he's saying you've got so much protection, not just the breastplate, but you've got this huge shield in front of you. Now you're gonna see there are different weapons or armor we have. Some are used right away and some are like used all the time. So your shoes, you sleep in your shoes, okay? You don't take them off. I know we don't do that, but I'm talking about metaphorically with the given analogy, right? Like you keep your shoes on, you always have to be ready. Belt of truth, that never comes off. We always need to know the truth and be committed to the truth. Now a shield, you pick up in given circumstances, the shield of faith. But I think about like a football player. He comes off the field, right, for a little bit, he keeps his cleats on, leg pads on, shoulder pads on. Might take his helmet off though, right? But when he goes back out, he puts his helmet back on. So there are some things here that are used as kind of a immediate readiness and some that are like long range preparation. The shield is a one that you use as kind of this immediate readiness. And we use it because we need faith at varying times in varying ways, right? And he shows here that this shield of faith extinguishes the darts of the enemy, of the evil one, that's Satan. What's he reminding you of? Right, the battle's not against philosophy. The battle's not against the government. The battle's not against ingenuity. The battle is fundamentally against a real person who has real adversaries. Now, he uses government. He uses philosophy. He uses ingenuity. He uses false religions. We learned about that, how Satan loves to just take false dichotomies, false belief systems, and just lay out a smorgasbord for everyone going, hey, everybody pick your belief system, just don't pick Jesus. Or you think you have to work for it in some way or just dub them out. So hey, I'll give you a, just a plethora of belief systems that's all legalistic. So you gotta pray to obtain righteousness and forgiveness. You gotta go to church. You gotta do all these deeds. Get on your mat. You know, go here and say your seven chants or obtain some sort of holiness. Or hey, if you just don't want that, I'll give you this. I'll let you be an irreligious, blatant, atheistic, just dumber of God. Don't wanna hear it. Dumb yours, dumb your eyes. Just believe he doesn't exist. You pick, Right? He wants you to think and taste and go after anything but the only one who says, you don't have to work. You don't obtain forgiveness on your own. I got someone that does it for you. I got someone who shed his blood for you. He doesn't want you to know that it's possible to have redemption outside of you. He wants you to be tired and weary, all about your effort, all about your performance going. So we said, this is a real person, and he shoots flaming darts. What are those? The world system that he uses. We've been talking about that. One of the primary ones he shoots is every other way to God and not Christ, being that way. He also sends fear, doubt, disappointment. He uses the world system to tempt you, discourage you, dismantle your faith. This all goes back to Genesis 3, guys, right? I mean, from out of the gate, the first time he shows up on the scene, what does he say? 
I'm the good guy. God's the bad guy. Like, God's a joy killer, not a joy giver. He doesn't want you to be like him. He's got ulterior motives. He wants to take from you. He doesn't want to bless you and give to you. Look, he's not letting you eat from that tree. Blind you to the fact that he gave you everything else. He's actually a very generous God. Very generous God displayed in Genesis, right? And here we see that all the way back, Satan tempts Eve and says, God isn't generous. God isn't good. He's not for you. He wants to keep from you. He wants to withhold from you. So just eat. And she buys the lie, right? I think currently one of Satan's best lies in using the world system is marriage, right? What's the lie? God's cheating you. This is what you want. So just have what you want, right? I mean, God's not for your joy. He's not for your good. He's not for your benefit. So just do whatever makes you happy, right? I mean, God's way can't actually lead to life, right? So, so we think we're the ones being cheated. We're the ones that are being, you know, uh, removed from something that's actually good. And actually, So as soon as we get to a place where we say, okay, I realize now I, I buy the lie. I don't believe God. I believe the lie. I say, okay, well, okay, God's not really for me. He wants to take from me, so I should really do what I've always wanted. There is a God that gives that to you, but it's not the God of the universe, it's the God of this world. And the God of this world just keeps giving you and giving you what you want, knowing that it just leads to dissatisfaction. And that's the problem with all of sin, right? It leads to dissatisfaction not only in what you don't have, but what in God is offering to give you. So sin just taints it and dubs it down. And we're seeing that, that God is not a liar. We learn that. In the New Testament, that God does not lie. Satan is the father of lies. And so he tells us that we deserve what we want. We deserve to be our own God. And the God that gives you that, day in and day out, is the God of this world. It's not the God of the universe. Because when the God of the universe gives you a good gift, it leads to deeper joy and greater life. When the God of this world gives you one of his gifts, it leads to corruption, discouragement, hollowness, regret, condemnation, doesn't lead to life. So how do we extinguish these fiery darts? He says, faith. How do we combat all of these things? We're trying to wade through truth and lie. He says, the shield of faith. Now what is faith? Now listen, it sounds basic, but it's huge. Faith in its simplest way I can define it is believing God. Do you realize that every single moment your eyelids are open and you're seeing the world, you are faced with two questions. Do I believe God or do I believe the world? Do you trust him? That's what faith is at its simplest definition. You either believe him or you don't believe him. Now we talked about this weeks ago, how this is the the baseline for all of Christianity. Like for every sin you ever want to participate in, for everything you want to do that's outside of God's will, it's just a matter of trust. Like you either believe what he says is going to lead to life, lead to joy, lead to freedom, or it's not. He's withholding, he's taking, you can buy the lie and do what you want. But you can't wallow around in the middle. Like we either believe what he says, believe his promises, or we don't. I mean that's, that's why we always, every time we give in to sin, it's Satan knows better than God. That's scary. 
It's true. Yeah, the world knows better than God. The, one, the, the created thing knows better than the one who made it. I mean, how, how upside down is that, right? Yeah, I'm gonna go with the people, the humans, okay, who have these brains, DNA wiring, and, and they, they, they're kind of clever. They figured out how marriage should work. They figured out how life should work. They figured out how religion should work. They figured out how procreation works. They figured out all these things work, but God, the one who made it, gave them the brain, gave them the DNA, helps them operate, holds life and death in the palm of his hand. I don't know if he knows. We walk around as idiots, Right, believing the enemy, believing culture, and not believing God. And we all do it. And he says the shield of faith really matters because you throw up the shield of faith when those lies and attacks are coming at you. And so faith is believing God. This is what? Believing God is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. Believing that God came in the form of Jesus. Believing that Jesus lived the perfect life believing that Jesus died, believing that Jesus rose, believing that he's coming again. Those are all things we believe. I mean, belief gets you in the kingdom of God, brothers and sisters. <laughs> belief in what God has done. I mean, look, Habakkuk 2, the just will live by faith. Galatians 3, the just will live by faith. Hebrews 10, the just will live by faith. What's, what's God getting at, right? Those who are justified, those who are declared righteous by his act alone believe God. They believe his promises, they believe his truth, they don't believe the lies. They don't fall along with the world's system. Romans 1, the just shall live by faith. God is for your joy. He's for your freedom. He's for your life. He's for your happiness. He is he is for your rest. He is for your peace. And he tells you how to get it. All throughout the pages of Scripture, and, and just so no one's off the hook, we all believe in something, right? I mean, every one of us is going to leave this room today, right? And you're going to bank by faith that your car's not going to blow up on the way home, right? Right? I mean, you, we all trust in something and believe in something, lean on something, live by something, right? Some of us put too much faith in people, too much faith in resources, so when all of a sudden people let you down or resources aren't available, what happens? Your faith is shipwrecked because it matters what you're putting your faith in. So make sure you're not putting your faith in the wrong thing. You can have a lot of faith in something, but if it's not the right thing, you're not gonna find any refuge. You're not putting up the shield of faith. You're putting the sh up the shield of Mike or the shield of insert your name because you're thinking what you think is actually gonna give you stability and protection when God's saying that the shield of faith will. We're not talking about positive thinking, okay? Listen, I, I can say, man, I believe that our giving this month is gonna be $200,000 with all my heart, man. I just believe it, right? And when $1 comes in, I'm wrong, right? I mean, the little guy who plays sports. I believe we're gonna win. Okay, good, Johnny. Keep believing that. And if he doesn't win, okay. It's okay. You, you believe well, though. I mean, it matters what you're putting your faith in. And your faith is in the immutable one. 
Your faith is in the unchanging one. Your faith is in the sovereign God who is holding every planet in orbit around the sun, who holds every DNA molecule together, who made all things for his good purposes and are pleasing to his perfect will. You are banking on the only thing that exists that could possibly be sturdy. So if you're going to hold up your shield of faith, if you're going to go into culture, into war, into work, into your family, into all things, right, you got to be putting your faith in him. Okay, trusting him. You're not trusting you. You're not trusting your neighbor. You're not trusting your coworker. You're not even trusting your husband or wife. You're trusting the God of your husband and wife or the God who's of your neighbor or the God who is of your work and put you there. Your faith is rooted in the only possible thing you could actually put faith in and that faith be fulfilled. And if you put it anywhere else, it brings discouragement, condemnation, fear, anxiety, right? All of those things. So faith is believing God and this defends the fiery darts of the enemy. And remember, every dart he shoots is what? A lie. Whether he deceives, discourages, cast out, it's all a lie, though. It's half-truths or no truth. It's never the whole truth. He doesn't know how to do that. And we saw that again from day one. Satan has done that in Genesis 3, right? Right when he appears on the scene, he says, believe me, don't believe God. Believe me, believe me, believe me. Now, what's awesome is, I think we see this when Jesus is in the desert, Right? Because Jesus is in the desert and he faces temptation, right? And what is one of the temptations that he says? He goes to, Satan goes to Jesus and he says, hey, God promised you the kingdoms of the world. Well, look at you, man. It's not working out so well for you, is it? I mean, you're, you're famished, you're tired, you're hungry. God must not be faithful to his promise. I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. Just come with me. Believe me, right? He's always been saying that. Even to Jesus. And Jesus defends him by the sword of the spirit, which we'll look at next week. But understand, we need to believe his lies from, believe the truth from the lies. Now for some of you, this is holding up the shield of faith against hollow regrets. So many of us are utterly handicapped and crippled by hollow regrets. So Satan accuses you for things that Jesus already forgave you for. And you're not believing it. And I'm telling you, it's gonna come out of nowhere, right? You ever do that? You're just walking, you're like, whoa, what? Darts, right? You ever, you ever where it just feels like when it rains, it pours, right? So darts are just like bombarding you. You can't even see the sun, Right? I mean, you're just getting hit from every side. There's just darts pelting with accusations, right? You're not forgiven. You're screwed up. You're a fraud. You don't really believe in Jesus. He doesn't really love you. There's really condemnation for you, not grace for you. You're really under wrath, not under mercy. And anxieties build up. Worries build up. You'll never change. You're not loved. And he just starts shooting over and over and over and over and over again. Revelation 12 says Satan is an accuser of the children of God. He loves accusing children. So anytime you hear you are, that's the enemy. You, 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 you. It's the enemy speaking. It's not God. A lot of people think, oh, I just, I, I talk negatively a lot. No, a lot of times it's just Satan shooting you. 
And you're allowing those darts to actually become native language for you. And so you join with him and agree with it and start saying it to yourself. Yeah, I'm a fraud. Yeah, I'm worthless. Yeah, I'm not loved. Yeah, I couldn't possibly be forgiven. Yeah, Christ's righteousness really doesn't cover me. Yeah, I really am too screwed up for God. You need to hold up your shield of faith. You need to, you need to have that huge door of refuge that you hide behind. Going, no, 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 God, God says that who he saves, he will not let go of. I mean, God says that I've been given his righteousness. I mean, God says that he's sealed with his Holy Spirit. I mean, God says that he loves me as a son and as a daughter. I mean, God says, right? You're believing God. You're believing God's word in those moments, literally. Guys, I'm so often it's like, what do you mean? All you do is believe God. No, I'm saying this is literally day by day, moment by moment, you're literally putting up your shield, hunkering down, joining us on the flank. We're all walking forward as the darts are fired at us going, I'm believing God. I'm choosing to believe God in faith because he's trustworthy, he never lives, he's immutable, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, he knows all things, he made all things, his will is perfect, so I'm gonna trust. If there's anywhere to put my faith, it'll be there. And, and you just hold up your shield of faith. Believe in God in moments of unbelievable targeting from the enemy, right? This is very hard when we go through disease, or we go through tribulation, or we go through hardship, or we go through sickness, right? Or we lose loved ones. This is very hard to put up our shield of faith. So whenever we sin, we're saying, I don't believe God knows best. Satan does. And there's a text I want you to see that was so beautiful. Proverbs 30. Because this is the only way to quench flaming darts. The only way to stand firm. Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God is pure. He's a shield unto those who put their trust in him. Don't add to his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Well, that's interesting, right? Are you seeing them come together? Are you seeing faith being believing God, trusting God, right? Sorry, I don't have it up on the screen. Proverbs 30, verse five. Again, every word is, of God is pure. He's a shield unto those who put their trust in him. So if you're not trusting him or believing him, that shield's not available. Like, you can be putting up anything, cardboard, if you want, or something else, but only way to grab the shield is have belief in God. So what he's showing is if you believe it and obey it, it'll be a shield. If you choose not to, you will suffer. If you add to his words, it will bring about more discouragement and more anxiety and more worry and more condemnation. And Satan will always say, eh, I know God said that, but let me add this, right? Just enjoy yourself. Have sex before marriage. It doesn't really matter. You're happy, right? He'll just keep adding things. Well, I know God said that Christ was sufficient, but I think you really need to do a little bit more just to make sure it was sufficient, right? He'll just keep adding stuff. We discern the lies from the truth. So he says we hold up the shield of faith. I trust the scriptures. I trust Jesus. I trust the gospel. Now, this is why the belt of truth that we talked about is so important. That's why we said, okay, you can't even put on any other armor if you don't have the belt. Because you have to know the truth. Okay, so one of the ways you grow in faith is by learning to trust God. One of the ways you learn to trust God and believe God is by knowing more of the truth. So we have to know the scriptures. 
We have to know what it says. We have to know what God says is true. Listen, if, if preaching on Sunday mornings, if I'm your primary diet of the scriptures, you're gonna have a very lukewarm, ineffective life for Jesus. Like if you think that you just walk in Sundays, this is your fill, now I'm good for the rest of the week, I can't wait till Sunday again, because then Mike's gonna fill up my tank again with scripture, then I'm gonna have that to get me through the whole rest of the week, I'm telling you, you're believing a lie. Satan loves to get the family of God only thinking that all that happens, the only place you could possibly know truth is through a pastor who's sinful and imperfect on Sunday morning. Hey, no, you need to study it on your own. You need to read it. If you need help, write. Ask brother, brother, sisters. Hey, how do you study the Bible? Or how do you learn to know truth? Ask them. Ask me. I'm not gonna give you the perfect answers, but I'll share with you what's been helpful to me. There are people sitting right around you, right? And we're all in this. We all understand what it's like to get busy and Satan loves, I've said this before, you ever notice, like, right when you're, like, finally able to sit down and have time with the Lord, you're like, oh, that TV show's on. Oh, I really want to watch, right? Or, oh, man, I should probably do this chore, right? Or being a mom, right, it seems impossible, right? Because, oh, my kid needs, oh, and then he, he wakes up right as I'm, like, opening my Bible. Yeah, it's a, it's a fight. But you fight for it because you know what it does for you. If you really believe the truth sets you free, if you really believe the truth will give you greater faith and belief in God, you will make time for it. I don't care what, it's not about commitment. It's not about schedule. Guys, you'll go to the gym for an hour and a half. Ladies, you'll go get your makeup and pedicures for an hour or you'll be on the phone for two hours or you, got, you guys can commit to anything. It's just a matter of priority and whether you believe it's valuable. Right? Internet, Facebook, t- Twitter, they're all good things to be used for God's glory, but sometimes you find yourself really just committing to that and going, well, I don't have time for the word because I want to chat with my friends or tweet this or tweet that. It's not a matter of commitment, guys. It's a matter of whether we see that it is true and it is valuable for our souls. So we get to know him. This is an, another text that shows us how we believe in Romans ten seventeen: Faith, believing God, comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So we learn to believe God by knowing the word of God. Like, this is how your faith in God is built up. By knowing what he says is true. So here's the thing. I said it's not easy to hold up the shield of faith or get behind it when there's sickness, disease, struggle, difficulty in life, right? But, but here is what it does. Is whether you go through those times, faith in God, knowing the truth of God, instead of experiencing loss and frustration, it's a point of strengthening for you. It's not a point of discouragement for you. That, that's what faith does. It doesn't remove the feelings of it, but now you're being strengthened by what's true. And you're not believing the lie. So Satan wants to say, God doesn't love you, that's why he's doing this to you. Or Satan is, or God is against you, or God's opposed you, that's why he's doing this to you. No, 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 that's a lie. God is for you, God is with you. God is with you in the struggle and the pain and the difficulty. We learn that that is a deep shield of faith. We believe his promises. Another aspect is found in Hebrews 11. This is the last one I just wanted to show us, how all these intersect. Hebrews 11.1, 1, right? Now faith is what? The assurance of things hoped for. Believing God is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. 
Okay, so we believe God fundamentally. And what is one of the most primary things that we don't see but we have assurance of that's coming? Our future glory, right? I mean, this challenges, I think, our belief in God probably more than almost anything, right? Because our belief in what's to come affects how you live today. So you're saying, I'm believing God that a better life's coming, that there's no sickness, no pain, that, that God will make everything right, that he's a just God, I don't have to avenge my enemies, he'll do what he says, right? That also means I don't just save, 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 save for my own kingdom, to do what I want, to spend on me, to indulge in me, to build my own kingdom, build my own church. No, God's word says, no, you exhaust yourself for the church, for God's people, for his fame. So when the world says, man, just build up your retirement, build up your 401k, live for you, save for you, we know James 4.14, life's a vapor. It's here and it's gone. Psalm 39, but a fleeting shadow on the wall. 2 Corinthians, that we don't fix our eyes on what is seen, but what is unseen, because what's seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. So I'm, if I'm gonna look at anything or have assurance in anything or believe God in anything, it's what he's got coming. And that gives me the courage and patience and grace to walk today in a way that honors him, that believes him, that gives me strength. I don't freak out when the stock market crashes because my stock market is all the galaxies and all the planets because I'm a co-heir with Christ and Christ owns everything that God has. So that's pretty awesome. I mean, my, my world doesn't crumble when I experience sickness because I know my, my body's temporary, but I've got an eternal body coming. When fears and anxieties mount upon you, God's gonna make it all right. When someone does something to you that you don't like, you feel like you need to avenge them, no, no, God's a just God. He'll avenge the wicked. He'll avenge those who are rapists and murderers, and we pray they come to Christ. But if they never turn to Christ, it's not our job. He'll make the world right. He's made it right in Christ. He's going to make it right permanently when he returns. and recreates the earth. Do you believe that about God? Do you believe he's got a future home for you? Do you believe his promises? Faith says I'm trusting in something outside of my visible circumstance, right? My faith is in the one who is in control and understands, even when I don't understand. He does understand. One of the things that's so liberating for me, I talk about this with, with Kristen often, is I love it when I can't understand something or figure something out because I'm really cerebral and I wanna know how it all works. And I love knowing that when I have a glorified mind, I'll know it all. Like I'll understand it all. Like no one's gonna be up and having going, mm, I don't really, but, but how did that work out? I mean, no, you're gonna understand. I, okay, yeah, wow, I, I get it, I see it. In your glorified mind, you will. Not right now, right? Or he'll cease to be God. So Deuteronomy 29, the secret things belong to God. You might have so much trouble knowing, why am I walking through this? But you know that God is saying it's for your good because I promised it would be. And so you base your faith on him. I believe one of the main roots, if probably not the main root of all our sin, is just unbelief. It's just unbelief in what God promises. Just look at a few of these on the screen. I will supply all your needs according to my riches and glory in Christ. 
I will pursue you with goodness and mercy. I will never leave you or forsake you. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Wait on me and you will renew your strength. You will mount on wings like eagles. You will run and not grow weary. You will walk and you will not faint. I will give you words that you need to speak. I will give you wisdom for every new challenge. I will be with you and strengthen you and help you. I will instruct you and teach you in the ways in which you should go. I will counsel you with my eyes upon you. Man, God speaks and promises he will do something and you can bank all of your accounts and your house and your family on it. His promises hold up. His promises don't hold up from me or another brother or sister or your husband or wife or your kids because we're frail, we're imperfect, we're sinful. But his promises stand. And we put up the shield of faith and go, I believe these. I'm not just aimlessly believing them. No, I believe it. In your time, in your way, they will be accomplished. So the shield of faith believes God about what he says will happen. God promises. I mean, this is, this is the object of your faith that you trust God. If there is one thing I pray often in the morning for as you guys come to mind or I think about this church, I wanna be a church that trusts God. At the end of the day, because that'll change everything. That'll change the way you live, the way you steward your money, the way you love your spouse, the way you pay your kids, the way you operate in your work, the way you love your neighbor. It'll, it'll change everything. If you believe God, if you trust God, it'll change our anxieties and our worries and our cares and our hardship. That he is good enough, smart enough, big enough, sovereign enough, large enough, in control enough. He, that he will do what he says. I want to end just, I, let's just read Romans 8. If you have your Bible, go to Romans 8. Let's just end by hearing the word. I think one of the best promises of God to us as people in Christ. Romans chapter 8. Here's what Paul says to this church, okay? Because the question for a lot of us is, but but Mike, is there a way that I could ever be separated from him? Like, is there a way that these promises could ever be null for me and void? Romans chapter eight. Let's start in verse 26. There's so much to, oh gosh, I wanna... Let's just start in verse 26. Might be great. Go home later today and just, just let Romans 8 encourage you. Because he starts out with one of the greatest promises God has made. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Okay? Let's go to 26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Okay, that's a great promise. When you feel really weak and you're incapable, it's not on you. It's on the Spirit that's in you that encourages you and gives you strength. Right? You're not dependent on you. You're dependent on the Spirit. For we... Do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Okay, so even when you're having trouble praying, God helps you in that. He promises to even speak the words. You, you guys know times where you're just, you're, you're so shredded up inside, tears are coming down your face, you don't know what to say. You know, he's actually praying for you. He's actually interceding for you. That's how good our God is. Just, just quiet your mouth. Let, let me keep saying what I know you want to say, but you can't say it. And we know that those who search his hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So no matter 
the sickness, disease, the loss, the hurt, the suffering. Okay, I cling to, I believe God when he says it works out for good. I don't know what good looks like. I don't know how that flushes itself out, but I know that I love him and I've been called by him according to his purpose. So I can trust this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those who he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. So what another great promise. You're not in charge of your salvation. Like you don't have to keep yourself in God's love. You don't have to keep yourself in his righteousness. He does it, he calls you, he justifies you, he makes you righteous, and he makes sure it is never left from you. But like you don't wander around going, I don't know, man, do, do my prayers help me stay in, in his love now? Do they, do they keep me in his righteousness? Does, does going to church day help you know, add the checklist of good things I'm trying to do? No, he does it. So you're secure, you're free to live. Man, I love worshiping God, I love pursuing God, I love it when I sin because, not because I love sin, but because his grace is right there. Because he keeps me in his love, he keeps me in the gospel. I don't keep me. He called you, he saved you, he justified you. You didn't do that. That gives you unbelievable refuge and identity and stability, right? When you doubt your salvation. Verse 31 what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? This, these are the shoes. If God's for you, if God's with you, if God's alongside you, who could possibly be against you? The world system, your boss, your neighbor, government? We have the God of the universe on our side. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God gave you the greatest gift in Christ and you were a sinner, how much more will he give you as his saint? As his son? If when you were in opposition to God, he showed you love and relentless pursuit and grace and mercy, how much more could he give you as now one of his own? Mind-blowing. I don't, I don't know what to do with that. All right. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. So no one brings a charge against you. So Satan comes and goes, hey, you're condemned. You're worthless. You're a sinner. You're a fraud. You're incompetent. You have a terrible past. God never forgave you. The gospel comes in and destroys that thought. He says, no, no, no. No one condemns you. Christ Jesus died. More than that, he was raised and is at the right hand of God who is indeed interceding for us. The one who left us and is coming back isn't just abandoning us as orphans. He sends us his Holy Spirit to be with us, to walk with us, and he's still interceding for us. Talk about fellowship and friendship. We feel lonelier. We don't have any friends or people have left us or forsaken us. We have God interceding for us. Who then shall separate you from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And you bet Paul experienced all those things. He experienced tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. 37, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We just sang that before the sermon. For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels or rulers, things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we all 
fade from this life and stand before the king of the universe, we're all gonna want a champion. When we realize the fullness of his holiness and the weight of his glory and the frailty of ourselves and the wickedness of our sin, we will stand and realize, man, I need a champion. And Christ stands in your corner. Says, I'm your, I'm your champion. I'm your victor. I'm your deliverer. I'm the one who intercedes for you. I'm the one who took your condemnation. I'm the one who took the wrath of God. I'm the one who took your sin. I'm the one who then gave you all of my righteousness and my perfect life and my perfect doing so that all of Satan's lies are killed and we believe God. Let's ask him to help us to do that. Lord, you are a God who is worthy of worship. God, we all admit that we struggle in our faith. We struggle to believe you. God, may the word become so Hebrews 4 living and active that it divides the very issues of our hearts. It helps us to discern truth from error, falsehood from honesty, the enemy's lies versus what is true. Help us to believe your promises. Help us to believe you are for us and not against us. God, help us to be ready, not in fear, but with anticipation, knowing that you have won. God, remind us of the peace we have with God that gives us courage and limits our fear. God, I pray the shield would be a refuge that would even encourage other brothers and sisters. Maybe sometimes they come and join us behind ours when they feel weak and frail. We encourage them in the word. We encourage them with what's true. God, protect this church from the lies of the enemy. Protect this church from the opposition that has come and will continue to persist as long as you advance your kingdom. God, make us people ready, joyful, in hope, knowing that you have won. God, make us much more mindful of our future glory than we currently do. God, as we observe the Lord's Supper right now, we're thankful that we are proclaiming Jesus. We're thanking Jesus for being our shield, for Jesus being the only reason we can believe God, because you did come, you did die, and you did rise. In Jesus' name, amen.